Because you can't only build a relationship with God by just getting to know Him, by overcoming the worldview of life and society. You can't get closer to God just by that. You need to get to the place, I need to get to the place to where nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Let me make a statement. It's not in your notes, but it's a statement that I need to use to begin this sermon with. And um, the statement is this. Jesus left heaven for earth, not just to show us God's love, but to show us how to live for God. Jesus left heaven for earth, not just to show us God's love, but to show you and I how to live in this world as Christians. People sit back and they say, well, pastor, I'm not Jesus. Well, the Bible says that you have him living in you. So you can live the life that he lived on this earth. Matter of fact, the scripture says, greater things than I have done you will do because now I go to the Father. Now, we looked at that last week or the week before, and we understood that it meant not that we're going to do greater miracles, but because we are in every place all the time around the world the gospel is being preached, that there's going to be more things done for Christ because more people are standing up. In our series on priorities, I made this statement that is paramount to the view we have and hold of God. And let me tell you the the statement again. I, I believe I left it in your notes. The priority he is to us, the priority God is to us, the Lord Jesus is to us, the priority he is to us now becomes the priority we think we are to him. Goes right back to that statement that God stepped out of heaven came into darkness to show you and I how to live a godly life. And if he becomes that priority, you say, I want no life other than a life lived for Christ, then that's who we are. If not, then we think in this world that what I'm doing is good enough Christianity. Am I making any sense at all? And we base our Christian experience literally on a worldview of what Christians are. And think about this for a second. The worldview of Christianity is not a very good view. 
Let me share a, a cute little story that was written by an eight-year-old boy. Lived in California. And he was talking about they had a, a, a survey or a thing done in his Sunday school class. And they asked the kids to share why do they believe in God. This little eight-year-old boy wrote this. It's a little long, so let me take a moment to read it. One of God's main jobs is making people. He makes these to put in place for the ones that die so that there's enough people on earth to take care of the earth. But God doesn't make grown-ups. They're too much work. He just makes babies. I think it's because they're smaller and easier to make, and that way he doesn't have to take all of his valuable time teaching them to talk and walk. He leaves it up to mom and dad. And it works pretty good. But then he goes and says, God's second most important job, listen to this, is listening to prayers. This eight-year-old boy saying this. An awful lot of this goes on as some people, like preachers, pray other than just at bedtime. God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV on account of this. As he hears everything, not only prayers, there must be an awful lot of noise going on in his ears unless he has thought of a way to turn it off. God sees everything. God hears everything. God is everywhere, and that keeps him pretty busy. You shouldn't go wasting his time by going over your parents' head if your parents already told you no. Atheists are people that don't believe in God. I don't think there's any in our city. At least if they are, they don't come to our church. Jesus is God's son. He used to do all the work like walking on water and doing miracles and trying to teach people about God who didn't want to learn. Does sound like anybody in, and never mind, I went. They finally got tired of him preaching all the time, so they, 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 they crucified him. That's, that's what he says, crucified, crucified him. But he was good and kind, just like his father. And he told him, Father, they don't know what they're doing, so would you please forgive them? And God said, okay. His dad, and in parentheses in the notes, God, appreciated everything that his son had done and all his hard work on the earth, so he told them he didn't have to go on the road anymore. He could stay in heaven, and so he did. And now he helps his dad out by listening to prayers and seeing which things are important to God to take care of and which ones that he can take care of himself without bothering God about it. He's kind of like a secretary, only more important, of course. This is why you can pray anytime and he will hear anytime. This is why you also shouldn't miss Sunday school just because there's something more fun like the Super Bowl. Oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't in the notes. I, it, it just slipped out. When is the Super Bowl? Today? How many want me to hurry up and shut up so you can get out of here? Okay, we're going to pray for sinners in just a second. Jesus is around when things, when you're scared of the dark or when you can't swim very good or you get thrown into the real deep end by big kids. But you shouldn't just always think of what God can do for you I figure God put me here, and he can take care or take me back anytime he wants to, kind of like an auto recall. And he said, this is why I believe in God. 
is because I know that God takes care of me. I want to take you to a passage of scripture that many preachers use as a salvation passage, but it really isn't. It's really a repentance passage. Revelation 3, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hear my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. God, this morning, take your word from my lips to their ears. Anoint it. Fill it, God, with your glory that it would not come back void, but accomplish that which pleases you. Father, today, help us to get closer to you, to learn in building our Christian life. There's two things that we want to note in this passage here quickly. Number one, it is not written as a motivation to salvation. This passage is written as a challenge to repentance. The Lord is talking to the church at Laodicea who had been become lukewarm, very passive in their Christianity, if I can use that term today, very normalized in the world. Well, this is just how the world is. So, you know, if I stand up and say anything, then I'm going to get in trouble, so I might as well just go pray in my little prayer closet and everything will be fine. They had gotten lukewarm, and God made this statement. He said, I would rather that you were hot or you were cold. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now, that's kind of hard preaching in today's church. Thinking that God's going to vomit me up just because I'm not on fire? Well, listen to what he says. He said, if you were hot, I could do more with you. Or if you were cold, I could stir you up. But because you're lukewarm, because you have become normalized with the rest of the world, I can't do anything with you. Am I making sense? And this is what's happening across the church. They don't know God because they've forgotten how to get to know God because the world is trying to get them to know all kinds of gods. The second thing that the scripture points out, and this is what I want to emphasize in this morning, is the fact that the scripture is referring to people who should already know God. You see, you can't become cold unless you were hot. You can't become lukewarm unless you were already warmed up, heated up. People who should already know God's voice. You know, when I get a phone call, it, it is less concerting for me or bothersome for me or disconcerting, I should have said. It's, it's less bothersome for me or disconcerting for me if I know the person on the other end of the phone call. If Brandon Bergstead comes up on my phone and, and I see that it's his name, oh, great, praise the Lord. But if I don't know the person calling, there's sometimes I'll let it go to voicemail. I always answer the calls. Or a text. Actually, I take it back. Sometimes I don't respond to a text. I just pray. I mean, I prayed for, uh, where, where's, where's Patton? Did you guys find the school that you're looking for yet? Been praying for you. Did you find one? 
Praise the Lord. I didn't respond to the text. I just noticed last night. I didn't respond, but I was praying. But the reality is I'm more apt to do that when I know somebody. Guess what? If I really have a relationship with God, I'm more apt to speak to him. I'm more apt to say, God, what should I do in this situation? But if it's just a passive relationship, I think I've made my point. That's why the Bible tells us that we have to become like that little child. That child didn't have a grip on the realities of God. All he knew is what was happening in his life. So in your notes, quickly, our worldview of God is what affects our Christian view of God. And building a Christian view of God is imperative to building our Christian life. We must really get a hold of this today, ladies and gentlemen. Why? Because our view of God is probably the most crucial part of our everyday Christian walk. If we see a God that's there, that, you know, you're going through something and you look at it, well, this is kind of insane. I'm not going to bother God with that. Then we're looking at a God that only takes care of the big things. God said, I'm interested in everything. So when he says, in all things, bring them to me, in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, that's Philippians 4, in all things. He didn't say just the things you think are significant. He didn't say just the things that you think, well, you can't handle on your own. I don't know about you, but there's some insignificant things I can't handle without God. I have to run to God for all kinds of stuff. But I can do that. You know why? I have purpose to build a personal relationship. And here's the problem we have. If we don't make that purpose, then we become like Doubting Thomas. I'll only, be, I'll only believe what I see. Thus, for, the, the, thus so becomes the basis of our Christian experience. Too many base their belief on what they see rather than what they believe in God's word. Thomas came to Jesus and said, or came to the disciples, said, lest I can touch the nail prints, lest I can thrust my hand in, I'm not going to believe. And you know, God's okay with that. But he wants you to grow beyond that. He wants you and I to grow beyond that we can fulfill the passage of John 20 where he said, more blessed are those who believe and never see. I'd love to see every blind person I pray for completely healed. I'd love to see every deaf person I pray for completely healed. I'd love to see every lame person I pray for get up and walk. It doesn't happen. Oh, I've seen many of it, but I haven't seen everyone. People say, well, Pastor, why is that? I don't know. Why didn't everybody Jesus? Why didn't Jesus go pray for everybody? Why did he heal everybody? Why, didn't he, why, why did he say that the poor is going to always be there? In our last series, we learned that we must change our priorities if we want to change our life. Let me make a statement. Christ has to become centermost in our lives if we're to see God's uttermost will for our lives. And here are a few ways that I have found that has caused you and I, and I say I too, folks, because I have to battle this stuff every day. That you and I 
tend to lose that perspective, that Christian view, and gain a life of a worldview in this society we live. Number one, quickly, we see God out of the rebellion to God that we find in a post-Christian nation. Yes, as sad as it is, folks, America is a post-Christian nation. Oh, it was a Christian nation, and it still has great Christian traits to it, but more and more we're finding that we're in a post-Christian society. And you say, well, pastor, how do you know that? When a society willingly decides to rebel against God, how many would think that we might be that society? For the most part, willingly deciding to rebel against God, its people will not see God no matter how visible his attributes are. And this, look at me, this is what our young people deal with. They deal with the school system that continually beats down their door and says, well, you show me your God. I love, the, I love the, uh, the story about a professor that was, that was mocking God. And he said, you know, he, he was out there and, and uh, some kid was in the class and, and was standing up for his Christian beliefs and the professor just whipped him apart. And the professor stood up there arrogantly and said, if there's a God in heaven, let him strike me right now. Well, Unbeknownst to him, one of his students was an ex-military boy. And everybody was just waiting and cautiously they had their eyes closed because the professor was a real in-your-face kind of guy. All of a sudden, this ex-Marine walks up, punches the professor, knocks him out cold. Professor come to and said, well, why'd you do that? He said, God was busy and sent me to take care of it. I learned a long time ago, God said he'd take care of it. He didn't tell me how he would take care of it. But we have our young people are beat down every day with, with, with their, if there's not a tangible perspective. Though the scripture says in Romans 1, although they knew God, they didn't glorify God as God. They didn't give thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their hearts became darkened. Although they thought they were wise, they became fools. This is an outward rebellion to God that we see in society. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I live with it every single day. That's why we have to know God in an intimate and personal fashion if we're going to ever stand against the world's deception. Am I making sense this morning? We see God out of the rebellion of God that we find in this world. The second thing is we see God in a way that makes him fit into our perspective. Oh, the church is good at this. It's kind of like the God in the box thing. How many got a genie God? Do you got one? Okay, he's kind of like the, you know, the ever ready, ever ready bunny, ever ready bunny battery God. He just keeps going and going and going. What, what I mean is it's is like we want to be able to find him quickly, understand him readily, and fix things speedily. That every time something goes on in our lives, we just want God to be there. What happens when everything goes right in our life? Are we there for him? Are we there with him? You see, we want God to do things, but we want to be able to suggest to God how to get it done 
The third thing is we see God through the personality and characteristics of others. You know, kind of like a celebrity God. I would venture to say there's more people in this congregation today that know the books of, of the Lord of the Rings and Narnia and Harry Potter and Twilight and fill in the blank. Then we know the books of this book. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you you're going to go to hell if you went to some movie. I do have to ask why do some Christians go to some of the movies they go to, but that's neither here nor there. I've been caught unaware in a movie before, and I've usually walked out of it. But why is it that we know the world system better than we know God's system? Why is it that we know the world's books better than we know God's book? You see, the problem that we have is if you and I aren't careful, we're going to start thinking that God flies around on a broomstick. Who was that that did that? Who? What was the guy's name? Oh, you won't answer because you know you're busted. Yeah, uh uh-huh. You know, or if things get really bad, you know God's going to turn into a werewolf and come jump in there. What movie was that? Several movies, okay. But think about it. Now, folks, I, I, I like Tolkien, and I like I liked Lewis. But, you know, but Lewis's analogy of the kingdom and stuff like that was a little bit better, I think, than, than Tolkien. The Lord of the Rings was a little more in the fantasy world. Yes, Lewis's was, but yet you could pick out the pieces really easy with Lewis. I'm talking about the Chronicles of Narnia. How many saw that? Okay. If you read C.S. Lewis's original series, there's about nine books in the, the Narnia series. It all talks about this king. And so does, so does uh, J.R. Tolkien. All of his does. The problem is, if I sit down, I was sitting down with somebody watching one of those Tolkien movies one time, and they probably wanted me to shut up because I'm telling them, see, this is when Jesus is doing this, and this is when God is doing this, and this is when the devil is doing this. And I would explain, it would like be a, a narrator going along the movie, and they just wanted to watch the stupid movie. But why is it that we know those books better than we know this book? Critical in the day that we live. And I'm talking about we see God through the personality and characteristics of others. In the day and hour we live, there's many that call themselves Christian that don't live a Christian life. And listen to me. The Bible says that we're supposed to judge others by their fruit. Can I tell you that's exactly what the world does? They will take the fruit of the Christian they like and emulate it. Or they'll take the fruit of the Christian that is not being very Christian and say, that's why I'm not a Christian. Is that making sense? I know that this that part of the sermon doesn't apply to anybody in here I know, so I, I should have left that piece out. But, you know, it's... It's the Bible that tells us very clearly God will never fail. But can I tell you something? Man will fail. You follow me for five minutes, I guarantee you're going to find some kind of chick in my armor. You're going to find some error in my life. I'm I'm just as human as you are. But the thing with me different is if I blow up publicly, I'm going to repent publicly. If I blow up privately, I'm going to repent privately. 
Because I know that that relationship with God is the most critical aspect of my life. Let me take you into Philippians chapter 3. I didn't put this in your notes tonight. Instead of quoting it, I want to read it to you. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 verse 13, he said, this one thing I do. You notice he didn't say these 10 things I do. These 15 things I do. He said this one thing. If you've ever read Paul's pedigree, you'll find out this boy had a lot of stuff that he could stand up and brag about. But he said this one thing I do. He said, I forget everything that was. I forget my life. I forget my family. I'm going to step on toes now. I forget my kids. I forget my parents. I forget my job. I forget this one thing I do. I forget everything that was. And I press on to everything that should be. And listen to this. He said, I press forward toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward to Christ Jesus. He said, I've got to lay everything else aside. This one thing I have to do is I have to leave the entire world and totally focus on Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says that if you're risen in Christ, you need to put your, head, your eyes in heaven. You need to put your heart into heaven. You need to put everything into heaven. You see, God's word will never fail, but man will fail. And when this does happen, we have to have that relationship with God that we don't judge that person, but we pray for them and lift them. The main difficulty when we're preparing God to others is we try to bring God into man's image. There's a word for that. It's called humanism. We try to make God into man's image when the Bible says that we're supposed to be conformed into his image. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, and I got a lot of scripture I didn't put on the screen. I told Paul, I said, we're not going to do it this week. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. And then he tells you how to do it by renewing your mind that you might present. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. You can go look it up. That you might renew your mind, that you might be able to present to God that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you know how you can do that? Well, Romans chapter 8 tells us very clearly that the Spirit prays for us, that when we're looking in a situation that we're not comfortable in, we can say, God, here it is. This might be little for the preacher, but this is pretty big amount for me. This might be little for you know Andrew over here, but I tell you what, it, it's pretty it's pretty big over there for Jerry. How many had times like that? I've had people say, "Oh, Pastor, I didn't want to call you because I knew it just it's just a little thing." But that little thing became a big thing. You know why? Because we have this world view. Let me. Begin to wrap this up. And this is a tough one. As we see God through the example of our parents. I want you to look at me just for a second, ladies and gentlemen. I don't care how godly your parents are, they will fail you. I, if you're in this church, you've been in this church any length of time, you know I am a divorced pastor. And if you want to know the reasons for the divorce, you can ask me later. I've told the church a hundred times. And it's fine. People go through stuff in life. 
Sometimes we get the stuff stuck on our shoes and we can't get it off. Buy some shoes. Walk on. Let's go on. Let's get, let's get off to this. I had a, an excellent career. And let me use the world's terms that I gave up for the gospel. I gave up. How do you give, give up when you're going up? It doesn't make sense to me. My parents, my family, we were raised Catholics. And if you're a Catholic here, you're an ex-Catholic here, I'm not trying to condemn. I'm not trying to put down, but I am trying to help us understand that you can have the greatest relationship with the church you want and still not make heaven. You can come to victorious life every day of your life and still not make heaven. It's not about a relationship with your church or being in good standing. I ask, people ask me all the time, well, what do I have to do to, to become a member of this church? It's on the back of your notes. Be active, be a tithe payer, and be a participant. Oh, you had to get the money in there. Why? Because it's showing you're trusting God or not. That's all it shows. And so, a lot of people think because my name's on a roll here on earth, it makes a difference. The Bible says if my name's not written in the Lamb's book of life, I got a problem. Right, am I making sense today? We, we look, we put too much emphasis and we, we build our relationship through the perspective of our parents, through the perspective of so many other situations. Many, if not most, try to emulate. My parents went to church. We were C&E Christians. What's a C&E Christian? Christmas and Easter. It's, we were C&E Christians. We went to church on Christmas and Easter, like all good Catholics did. Sadly, like many good Christians do, that's what they do. Is anybody getting offended in here? If you are, I got a good offense series that we can get out to you. I'm sorry, that's my humor. We'll work on that. My mom and dad, as best as they could, they couldn't line up. Why? Because they didn't have that intimate relationship with Christ until they got into their 60s and 70s. They didn't raise me in that godly family. And the problem, if I don't have a godly past, it's tough to have a godly present. So when you go through life trying to build on that strength of your dad, it's going to fail you. Because unless your dad was strong in Christ, not going to last very long. Your mom was strong in Christ. It's not going to last very long. Probably the worst that we do is we try to build our lives in the perspective of the media. How many have ever heard of a Christian Rambo? When you see a Christian in the screens, what do you usually see? Some wimpy, money-grubbing person that's very passive and won't stand for anything. Is that true? Most of your media examples? If we only see God through a secular worldview, we'll be driven to failure in our lives. Romans chapter 8 in the New Living Version says, if we will only see God from, uh, excuse me, the mind that thinks only of ways to please its own sinful self will always be fighting against God. A perspective needed to get closer to God is very simply, we've got to lift our eyes. Let me give you a few things here that will begin to build that relationship that you and I so desperately need in getting close to God. Number one is we need to be honest with God. You need to be honest. There's nothing hidden. God, I'm, I messed up. Yeah, I know. What are we going to do about it? 
God, I blew it. Yeah, I know. What are we going to do about it? God, I, and I wish God would just say, I already know. Shut up. Are you going to stand up? Are you going to do something about it? Am I going to do something about it? Be honest with God. Number two is be simple. You say, well, pastor, how do I be honest with God? How do I be simple? In your prayers, in your notes. Don't express some kind of need to God that you don't feel or any fault that you don't mean to forsake or keep anything back. He searches our hearts. He already knows. Be simple. Be profound in your prayers. Say, God, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I am. God, I have this tendency towards this. And God will respond, yes, I know. And then the third thing is pray earnestly about it. Not necessarily loud or not necessarily with volume, but with an intensity of heart saying, God, if you don't help me in this, I can't do anything. Something that I encourage people all the time when you're trying to grow in Christ is you need to pray out loud. I know a lot of us, we like to do the little headache prayers. You know, what's a headache prayer? You know, when you're at the kitchen, kitchen table or the restaurant table and you sit down and you go like this? And that's your prayer? There's people that sometimes I'll go out to dinner with people and they're already, they got a spoon halfway between the mouth and I'll say, can we pray? I know it doesn't happen in this church. Didn't think so. I say pray. And sometimes I'll humorously say, "Uh, did you pray before you took that first bite? I I don't want to be doing your funeral, do I? But think about it. If we don't audibly speak forth, how is the rest of the world going to know we're a Christian? Because generally speaking, if we won't audibly stand up and declare our faith, chances are it's because we're not confident in our faith. We haven't built that relationship with God and in Christ. Let me just take my notes with me so I can walk around. Yeah, if you're this church, we kind of walk around. I just get right up in people's face. That's what I do. Are you okay, Shailene? Okay. Okay, just kidding. But, but think about it. If you're not praying audibly, people say, well, you know, if I say something, the devil's going to hear it. That's what you want. You want the devil to know who you're trusting. You want to know where your strength is. Okay, let me say this. Do not mock God in your life, in your prayers. Prayer is not begging. Prayer is not pleading. Prayer is very simply saying, God, I've got a relationship with you, and you said you would take care of all my need according to your riches and glory. God, I have a need. Here we are. We're not begging God. You know why we beg God? Because in ourselves, we don't think we're worth God to do anything. And the reason we have that is because we have a worldview of God instead of a Christian view of God. I love, the, I love the honesty of the scripture. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's saying, Father, is there any other way? God, you know... I like Tina, but I don't know if she's worth going through what I'm going through. Father, any other way. Could you imagine Leland walking around when Jesus was on the earth? And the only thing in Jesus' mind was Leland's face? Father, really? 
any, I mean, think of the honesty of Christ. But listen to the last statement he said. Nevertheless, it's not my will, Robbie. Father, it's your will. Look at me as I conclude. And you've got a lot more in your notes. You can read them. In your life and mine, if it's not about that relationship, if it's only about what we've seen out there, read in some other book, saw in some church, you're doomed to fail. You're doomed to fail because people will fail you. Isn't that right, Paulie? People will fail you. Your pastor will fail you. Not because I plan to, but because I'm human. But God won't. So you need... In your notes there, I just put a few little odds and ends that you do. People, a lot of people, there's a mindset out, well, I got to pray for a long time for God to really get a hold of it. God hears you when you whisper. The minute you open your mouth, the Bible says your prayer is already heard. It's not a long prayer. I tell people all the time, I hardly ever pray an hour, but I hardly ever go an hour without prayer. I'm praying all day long. My wife, I'm, I'm in the house someplace, and my wife, who are you talking to? Oh, just God. In the shower, doing something. What'd you say? Oh, I was just praying. Is that your life? You see, to build a relationship with God, to build your Christian life, you got to do the same thing that you do in a marriage. You got to spend time together. You got to talk to them. You've got to spend time with them. You've got to talk to them. You say, well, I'm not the greatest communicator. How many men can say amen to that? How many wives can shout, yeah, that's my husband. Not a great communicator. That's okay. God weeds through all the garbage. He knows what you're saying. Spend that time with them. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.